1: do we make of the fox news settlement and then remembering the life of charles stanley you're listening to the common good hey friends welcome to the common good here on am 1160 hope for your life alongside aubrey sampson my name is brian Fromm. so glad to have you with us today on a wednesday afternoon uh, Aubrey will be joining us momentarily. She will be joining us soon. Uh, had to step out for a second, but we are excited to have Aubrey here with us today on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. It feels as if spring has sprung, and uh, we're going to cross our fingers that, that the warm weather is back for us. Hopefully you're having a great day. You've gotten past tax day. Uh, for some of you, that's a good day. For others of you, that day is just brutal, uh, so hopefully... Uh, that That is all done. Now we're staring at summer. It is coming. Well, big news yesterday. We like to start with things in the news. Fox News settles with Dominion at the last second to pay $787.5 million to avert defamation trial over its 2000, uh, 2020 election lies. That's the headline I'm reading here. So... Uh, very dramatic yesterday. Uh, they, the, they were ready to go to trial. They People were expecting the opening statements, and then all of a sudden it was announced that a deal had happened to end the two-year legal uh, battle. And, and for both sides, you know, Dominion gets what they wanted. They get the money, and they get the, um, the kind of affirmation that what they said happened actually happened. And Fox News... Uh, gets this to go away. A trial for them would have been uh, very damaging because of what would have come out, I'm sure, because a lot of it already came out before. But uh, here's what uh, what's the takeaway here, because it's not just about them avoiding what could have been a painful six-week trial. They don't have to necessarily go on the air and apologize or anything. But a couple different things that I want to point out. The first is this. The lawyer for Dominion said, hey, this is uh, another representation that truth matters, uh, that truth matters. And as Christians, the, that should be a, a hallmark, a, a foundational statement for us that truth does in fact matter because we are people of the truth, right? We believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that there is truth. Truth, objective truth, and therefore, truth matters. we are called to be people who tell the truth, who don 't tell lies and uh, this is a reminder, like when I heard the lawyer say, uh, part of this victory is an affirmation that truth matters, I took that much bigger, right yes, so we 're going to zero in on on this specific case, but it, it, it is of absolute truth that truth does matter. And as the church, we have to hold on to that. And so I was challenged even by watching news going, how much does the truth matter in my own life? Like, am I a truth teller or am I somebody who's willing to skirt the truth a little bit, twist the truth a little bit in order for my own advantage? So truth, in fact, matters. And as the church, we must be people of the truth. Because if we are liars, if we are deceivers, if we are people who kind of fudge with the truth, but then we get up and we proclaim Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, we've lost our standing somewhat. People go, well, what does truth actually matter for you? It does remind me that like it's part of the difference. We just celebrated Easter, uh, and, and Jesus, when he gets arrested, he's standing before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate says... Uh, it says in response to Jesus, Pilate says, what is truth? And and I always picture him saying that dismissively, like is said in our own culture, what is truth? We are people of the truth. And so truth does in fact matter. I gotta be honest. I'm excited. I'm happy uh, that Fox news was held to account. I would like to see other organizations held to account when they knowingly lie, when they blatantly lie. And uh, you might think that, not every, you know, maybe they didn't know what they were saying. Even Rubo- Rupert Murdoch, the head of Fox News, said uh, when it came to election denialism and specifically the cases against Dominion, he said it was, quote, really crazy, really crazy. Uh, and it, so it's just crazy. So truth matters. Is the second thing this should cause all of us to do, whether you're on the right or the left, quote unquote, whether you're a Fox news person, uh, an MSNBC news person. Well, I think something that came out very clearly in the lead up to this trial uh, is be really, really, really. How many more times can I say? Really? Be really careful about who you listen to. I I fully understand. There's a lot of you out there that, that are big fans of Fox news. Uh, and I don't watch much cable news, to be honest with you, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and any of it. But I think something that came out here, even in the pre-trial stuff, was that even some of the biggest stars at Fox News who say certain things by their own text messages and emails didn't necessarily believe those same things. And yet, the question then remains then why are they pushing these things so much and this happens again on both sides of the aisle i i've begun to think or not begun I, I i tend to think that uh you know cable news they got to make money and they speak to their audience and they know what they're saying quite frankly what came out in a lot of the pretrial stuff here is that a lot of these guys and 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 women on in this case Fox News, don't really believe what they're saying. And so it raises again this question, where do you get your news? What is trustworthy, especially now in the age of social media where uh, anybody can share anything and the algorithm only gives you exactly what they think you're going to want to see. I'll never forget a friend of mine uh, who was a very – passionate supporter of President Trump, very passionate supporter of right-wing politics, like far right-wing. And I'll never forget, she was like, why don't you understand what I'm telling you? And I'm like, what you're telling me sounds crazy. I forget what issue we were talking about. And we opened up her Facebook page and my Facebook page, and the stories that we were being fed were 180 degrees different. She was just getting stories that were Uh, already what she was saying and believing, and so it just uh, added to it. And, And I think what we learned here is that our cable news channels work much in the same way. They know their audience. And so... Uh, they're not going to change their business models. These guys make a lot of money. But really what it comes down to is some of us out there need to be more discerning in what we watch and what we listen to. Because when we just buy into things, hook, line, and sinker, that even the people putting it out there may not necessarily believe in, and we allow those things to not just form us but also to – to, to separate us from family members, to draw division within the church, then that is on us. So we can be reminded through a case like this that, you know what? Uh, we need to be more discerning. In where we get our news sources, we need to be more discerning in the things that we believe. I know a lot of people who believe this stuff about Dominion and about the election. And even within the walls of Fox News, the people who were talking about it did not believe it. So what do we do with that information? At the very least, uh, be people who search out the truth, who stand for the truth and be more discerning what you believe. Somebody asked, do we think they're going to lose viewership from this? I think the answer is probably no. I think the answer is probably no. But if you're a viewer of Fox News, if you're a regular person who watches MSNBC or whatever else you watch, just be discerning. Understand the business model and, uh, and be warned. And be warned. Well, coming up next, we want to celebrate the life and legacy of Charles Stanley. In Touch Ministries, Charles Stanley passing away yesterday. He lived a life worthy of reflection, worthy of celebration. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life alongside Aubrey Samson. I'm back. I'm back, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have Aubrey back in the studio with me. You just missed the beginning. That's all.
2: Yeah, I just missed the beginning. I like you to be able to have some time alone. Like sometimes (laughs) I I read your signals and I'm like, Brian needs some alone time right now. I'll give him exactly nine minutes and then I'll come back.
1: (laughs) I'm going to step out. People should have seen her. She was just staring through the glass while I (laughs) started the show. So uh, we are glad that you're with us on this Wednesday afternoon. All right, Aubrey, a uh, what's the word? A titan of the evangelical world, a uh, kind of a, a, a a very steady person over the last decades. Dr. Charles Stanley passed away yesterday, I believe, at the age of 91. Wow! Uh, and so, you know, Dr. Stanley, uh, In Touch Ministries, which even has a show on our station yes. at 12:30 every right. day, In Touch Ministries with Dr. Charles Stanley uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 90. Longtime pastor, uh, longtime radio person, just. He's had a an enormous impact in the evangelical world for mm-hmm. decades. Absolutely. Generations. Lots
2: lots of I would say even our age folks kinda cut their teeth on Charles yeah. Stanley. Like he was one of the early sort of popular preachers you'd you'd read his sermons in the newspaper yeah. back in the day or listen to his radio show like we just talked about that's still but not he's of course known for being the father of andy stanley as that's well he's
1: known but well, yes. that's
2: one of the reasons he's known
1: but his his uh his story complicated for one of the reasons you just mentioned right yeah uh Dr. Charles Stanley, very got like people, like you said, read his sermons. Listen, he was putting sermons on tape before all of us were yep. on podcasts. Yep. You know? Uh but what very famously Got divorced. Mm -hmm. And that was like a, especially in that, that, wait a minute, Dr. Charles Stanley got, and that made for a very complicated relationship with his son, Andy Stanley. Yes, And they've been very open about it. They did a lot of sit downs uh, Mm -hmm. from all that I saw. They had a great relationship, Mm -hmm. especially near the end, but they both talked about how complicated that was. And so I always also appreciate that Charles Stanley and Andy Stanley seem very, Different, at least as preachers, right? You don't ever see a picture of Charles Stanley without his tie on or this or that. So uh, at Christianity Day, they wrote uh, Daniel Silliman, basically put up a remembrance, uh, says this, the preacher who led with stubborn faith. Mm. Here's the motto he lived by. Are you ready? Obey God and leave all the consequences to him wow what about that motto what do you think of that motto he says that kind of obedience wouldn't come without cost stanley said but god rewards quote stubborn faith this is all out of his memoir from 2016
2: yeah i mean it's hard to argue with that obey god and let everything else it's sort of a reconstructing of Seek ye first the kingdom of god and uh how other people say it. I don't think this is how Bible, the Bible says it, but people say, and everything else will fall into place, yeah, right? Yeah. Um. I feel like it's kind of that same thing. Like, don't worry so much about the outcome or control, but your your one role as a follow, follower of Jesus is to obey God. And I would, you know, obedience I think involves love, yeah. worship, that kind of thing. Like it's a it's a blanket term for a lot of what it means to follow Jesus and obey him. So, yeah, if we could live like that, I mean, that would probably make life pretty difficult at yeah. times. Like, the, I think we see it in Stanley's life. The outcome of that is not smooth sailing, open doors, everything goes well, perfect this, perfect relationships with your family members and your friends. But it does mean God will see that and reward you, I yeah.
1: believe. I think one of the most amazing things, right? He was... Uh, he preached daily on the radio and television through In Touch Ministries, which he founded in 1972. Was widely regarded as one of the best preachers of his generation along beside people like Chuck Swindoll and Billy Graham. Uh, you mentioned him and his son Andy. Uh, They were the only father-son duo to rank on Lifeway Research or George Truett Theological Seminary's list of most influential living preachers. Can you
2: imagine that? Like your dad and son. And even though they had at times. uh, Yeah. You know, are they like competing? Are there are their kids and grandkids laughing about this? Like that's wild to think about.
1: Uh, Charles Stanley was the founding member of both the Moral Majority and the Christian Coalition. Served as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, at a very key point. And he wrote more than 50 books. Whoa! And so all of that's in the background. But Aubrey, what might be most impressive was that he started as the associate minister at First Baptist Church Atlanta in 1969 and remained there in the pulpit until 2020. 51 years later. I mean, later.
2: I feel like that doesn't happen. And I was reading somewhere that there were times when uh, deacons or elders tried to oust him. Oh, is that right? And he basically was like, no. Like, he just sort of, <laughs> that stubborn faith refused to leave, which you could argue is that good or not good. Is that good accountability or not good accountability? And yet... um, You have to, I think, clap and commend, clap for and commend 50 years in a pulpit in the same place in the same city is pretty
1: powerful. I just found the story you said. It said he started as the associate pastor. Two years later, the senior pastor resigned and Charles Stanley was asked to take on the responsibility until a replacement could be found. He applied for the position himself, but the search committee voted five to two against him. As the search went on, Sunday attendance started to swell, giving started to increase, (laughs) growing numbers of church members suggested Stanley should take the job. Several deacons, subtly and then not so subtly, pressured Stanley to step down. Stanley refused. He
2: refused. I just there's something about that that like you couldn't get away a with in this day and age but for some reason when you look back on a 91-year-old pastor you're like, "Well, oh, that's cute, isn't it?"
1: Uh there was a lot go there there's some, you know, there was in 51 years of ministry, there was some complicated things in that story as well. Yeah. But here's the question. You and I talk a lot on this show about legacy. Man, this is really wild to read the story of deacons. There's these power grabs. Well, and all I of this also, stuff.
2: and I don't want to take you off, but the story, even of his divorce and how he preached divorce men should be disqualified from ministry. But then in his own divorce decided it was, I mean, there's some, you know, people are not <laughs> all one thing. Yeah. Life
1: is uh, complicated, but, uh, what is most impressive? I think the most impressive thing to me is the staying power at one church. I agree. Uh, Let's let's have the legacy talk again. What can we learn from Charles Stanley's life? About we all want to get to the end of our life, and mm-hmm. you know when they write the article about Aubrey Sampson in uh, Ch- Christianity yeah. Today, when when you pass away at the age of ninety, uh, <laughs> what what do we want to be proud of? What do we want to hear them say? And how do we get to the point where they say we always say, well, however you want to be remembered, live that way. Yep. What what can we take away from his life with us?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think every time we have these types of legacy conversations, you and I go back to the, kind of some similar themes. One, we definitely wanted to hear our Savior say, well done, good and faithful Mm -hmm. servant. Like that is very important to me that I have run the race as well as I can, letting go of the sin and the weight that entangles me and trying to just stay faithful, even though I know I'll never do it perfectly. Charles Stanley is an example of that, not doing it perfectly, but staying faithful. And then the other, I mean, bottom line, almost more than anything else after Do the people around me, my family, my friends, my neighbors feel loved by me? Like, Mm. will they at my funeral or my sometimes it's nice to think about your 90th birthday party instead of your funeral. Will they say this person made me feel loved, welcomed, known, accepted? And that's the part where I'm challenged. Like, it does the busyness of life keep you from that. Do you have good intentions to encourage and care for people, but you get distracted? I mean, and this goes back to what you're talking about what you want to be said at your funeral or the toast you yeah. want to hear at your birthday party, you have to live with intentionality now.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a great story of reconciliation in here. I, this is over Christianity day. Uh, after he got divorced, one of the voices who said he should resign was his son. Mm. Andy Stanley. Now it's Stan- Andy Stanley said he wanted his dad to resign so that the church could vote him back in if they wanted to keep him. I see. But yeah. he said, Charles Stanley, uh, All he heard was resign from his son. Charles Mm -hmm. reacted harshly and pronounced his son an enemy. Mm -hmm. Andy left First Baptist, estranged from his father, and went on to found North Point Community Church, where he still is today. And uh, Charles Stanley described this period as the hardest and loneliest part of his life. But if you go on with the story, as we know, later on in life, they reconciled uh, through counseling, therapy together, and they ended up speaking together and doing stuff. So even in that messiness, when you look back over their life, you could go... But look at that picture, two not just pastors, but son and dad and son working through these issues. Uh, Really a lot, a lot to learn from his life. So we wanted to take some time to remember Dr. Charles Stanley. And also, reminder, you can listen to his stuff at In Touch Ministries here on AM 1160 at... Twelve thirty. Coming up next, Aubrey. Let's talk about all that's been going on at Chicago. Okay. Uh, there's an article that said there's five things Chicago could do to prevent all the downtown mayhem, and we're going to mm. just read the list and give our thoughts because the the videos coming out and the stories are just uh, they're they're crazy. Mm. They're crazy. So we're uh, this being our home city as yeah, well. We're right. going to have that discussion next year on the Common Good. Aim eleven sixty. Hope for your life. And over to our social medias. There's a great concert coming up. Tell <gasps> yes, our people about the is. concert. It's
2: so soon too. The Carrie Job concert this weekend, Saturday night at Willow Creek Barrington, celebrating Outreach's 50 years of ministry and work in the Chicagoland area. And we are giving away two front row tickets. These are premium seats to Carrie Job. All you have to do is go on our social media at Common Good Talk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, mention the concert, and you will be immediately entered to win those tickets. Do you
1: think, uh, it's going to be an awesome concert. Yeah, it is. Uh, Willow Creek has a bunch of different places Willow Wheaton, Willow, yep. other places. Yeah. But when. Do you think they say Willow Creek, like Willow South Barrington, or is it just like it's understood if you say Willow Creek, that's where it. No, I think they say works. Willow
2: Barrington, they really? Wheaton, I Willow Wheaton, Willow. Yeah, used to. yeah, they probably didn't have to, but now they do because there's so many. Yep, yep. Unless they're like Willow Main Campus, like do they have a term like that?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, all right, Aubrey, if it's you good been, to
2: be Willow and have choices <laughs> so like that.
1: Have you been fo- You have been following all that happens that is happening downtown in Chicago right now. It feels.
2: Yeah, there's always
1: weird stuff going on. And, and you know, the word net going around right now is mayhem. <clears throat> but the stuff over the weekend felt like something we haven't really seen. There's a lot of uh, yeah. shoplifting going on. You yeah. see these stores being ransacked mm-hmm. right now. I saw another one, like a jewel or something. Somebody's going through oh, and Really? Like, these shelves were just it was just a, what not the not only the stuff world? being stolen, but stuff being just like also, the like just the, the destruction. Yeah. We all saw on Saturday night just the groups of teenagers vandalizing cars, uh, creating mayhem.
2: Yeah, it was just kind of like chaos. chaos. Like, I don't even know if you'd be like, that was violent behavior, but you would be like, this is chaotic sort of like wild and unruly behavior, but in a way that looked kind of scary. Yeah. Sketchy. And, uh,
1: and then uh, it got to the point, too... Where did you see the video? Cause you just said it didn't seem violent. It was violent, but you're like, that really wasn't the point of it. There was like just a lot of destruction. But then did you see that, that woman getting into her apartment and just get jumped by like the crazy crowd of, Oh, like so kids? it
2: did get violent. No, I didn't hear that. 100%. Oh, wow. She
1: said she got basically saved by an Uber driver. Like it was nuts. That is nuts. And so the question a lot of people are wrestling with is like what, there's gotta be a sol- What's the solution
2: Mm. Right. Like there, ha- and there has to be some attempts towards solutions. And right now, else.
1: politicians are throwing a lot of things at each other. It's your fault. It's your fault. But we want to try to ask the question um, what can happen? All yeah. Right? And yeah. Uh, WBEZ Chicago, uh, that's NPR basically. Uh, They put out an article that said, five things Chicago could do to prevent downtown mayhem. Oh, okay. Public safety experts and youth advocates pitched ideas. And so I just want to read through the list of five. Okay. And then uh, I'll tell you kind of where my mind is at. Like watching this stuff. Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Because I think the answer for me is actually yes now. And I've never been to this point. Would this cause what's going on in Chicago right now? You and I live out in the western yeah. suburbs. I think it would cause me pause to go to the city just for like, hey, we're just gonna to go to the city for fun.
2: I don't think it would give me pause, but that's just a difference in our personalities, perhaps. Like I'm I wouldn't be too worried. Like this feels like a sort of a freak thing, not a not a normal not a normal occurring event that's why all these articles are coming out about it but that just is again my personality maybe
0: yeah it
2: wouldn't give me pause no although the only thing that really gives me pause to go hang out in the city is like traffic parking i don't have time for that yeah that kind of thing but it's interesting to think about i wonder if it is giving people
1: pause i think it would especially like if here's where it would give me pause i think if you if if my kids were like hey Let's go and just walk Michigan Avenue on a Saturday night. Yeah. I'm not sure I would do it right now. Yeah. Interesting. I'd go to a ball game. Sure. I'd go down to the Bean in the middle of the day. Yeah. But if you, I just, these things seem to be happening more and more Hmm. that you're like, I don't know. And that's a problem for Chicago.
2: Absolutely. Right? Like if people are
1: going, uh, if you have the reputation that's at least making it a debate of, do we go downtown? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, that spells a lot of trouble. And
2: I think the hard part, like in a city like Chicago, and this is true all over the, in all kinds of major cities, when school's out, when it's warm, when kids don't have something keeping their attention, this stuff does happen. Kids get into trouble. And some of it's very, very dangerous for the kids themselves. And so. To have you know, opportunities for kids to get involved in something, be a part of something, that has to be, I think, some of the solution here. Not the whole story, but part of it. Certainly. All right, so
1: let's go with WBEZ gives these five suggestions okay. from uh, from kind of anti, uh, what did we call them? From um,
2: mayhem, preventing safety. mayhem. Yes,
1: everyone's just picturing the commercials, right? I know,
2: right? Uh, <laughs> public
1: safety experts. Okay. Uh, first, Pay anti-violence workers to keep the peace. Oh, interesting. Chicago in recent years has invested more resources in non-policing solutions to violence. Mm. So this one person said the city could employ a team of anti-violence workers to patrol downtown hotspots on the weekend and help turn down the temperature. The real question then becomes, how do you turn down the temperature?
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: All
2: right. I like that. I think that's a great idea, though, especially non-police related. I think that's a fantastic idea.
1: Give young people stuff to do in their own neighborhoods in downtown. Yeah. Uh, the executive director of Teamwork Inglewood said the community nonprofit had a lot of success last year asking young people to plan and host their own safe events as part of the summer kickback series. Uh, so that's the second one. Third one. Keep kids busy with jobs. Hmm. This one expert said the city could prevent so many young people from convening downtown by greatly expanding its youth jobs program.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: Number four, improve transportation for young people trying to leave downtown. Hmm. And number five, uh, put more police downtown. Some people are calling for a heavier hand in dealing with unruly teens. Uh, This one person who served as police chief in Riverside for 13 years said uh, Chicago police should be doing a lot more to address the problem and advocates for a heavier presence of uniformed police officers downtown Hmm. who strictly enforce the laws. Wow. So uh, running a gamut, I think you and I are going to disagree with this, but uh, uh, on where we would land in this. But where would you land? What what resonated with you?
2: Uh, Some things that resonated with me, uh, for sure, I I. For sure, I think activities, jobs, anti-violence workers, giving kids stuff to do, like, uh, and I I agree with this improving transportation, like make it a little easier so kids aren't just like walking around, you know, hoping to find a ride. I tend to think that that would be my initial instinct, Mm -hmm. especially because there's been some proven research, it looks like, in some parts of the city where this has actually made a difference.
1: I think that... Yes, more programs, more uh, helping nonprofits. All of these things are good, but when you see what happened, like on Saturday, yeah, I think there needs to be a heavier police presence and yeah. more more consequences. I think, yeah, I think especially some of our cities have lessened consequences, and that's why we're seeing shoplifting and all of this other mm-hmm. stuff on the rise. Yeah, so I don't want to just say. More arrests more, right, arrests. more arrests. Right. But I also don't want to go lenient. I want to go. You don't want I'm to go. You can just get away Saturday with it. Night,
2: yeah. They,
1: there needs to be heavy consequences for that. And if not, then I think that goes yeah. on top of these other things that you could do. But it's just, I don't know. It just makes me sad. To this see is these.
2: interesting, too. There's also a call for police to be monitoring social media and sharing that information with patrol officers in real time. I actually think that's interesting because. What's happening on, like what happened on Saturday night, likely there were conversations about it online 100%. before, you know, before it actually took place. And yep. so I think that's an interesting piece as well. Yeah,
1: it's going to be, like you said, summer tends to be the time where worse things happen. So
2: it really uh, does.
1: it's we're praying for Chicago. I just don't Seriously, want. Seriously, come on, Chicago, love we Chicago, love you. And we don't want to see this all continuing. Yep. Uh, coming up next, Aubrey, 28 years ago today. Something happened that I think uh, kind of changed America a little yeah. bit, but I certainly know changed where you were from. It we're gonna, absolutely did. Yep. Talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. And Aubrey, today is April the 19th. Yes. 2023. Uh, April the 19th. Also, April the 20th should sound. It should ring some bells. So let me talk about April the 20th first, because yeah. then we're going to get to the 19th. April the 20th. Nineteen ninety, I'm gonna need to look up the year. Was Waco?
0: Oh,
2: that's
1: right. It was. I think nineteen ninety four. That's was right. All of that, the Branch wow. Davidians and Waco, and wow. all of that stuff. That's nuts. Which then led on April nineteenth of nineteen ninety five. Yes. To I think one of those moments where even i i was uh what a senior in high school uh-huh. then you would have been a junior i was a
2: junior i was a
1: senior in high school in new jersey even i uh, even for me that was a uh you remember where you were in that moment but for you uh that was exponentially more yes. because i'm speaking of the bombing in Oklahoma City. It yeah. was an FBI building, right? The yes, Murrow? it was the
2: Alpha P. Murrah Federal Building, Federal actually. Building. Yeah. Federal yeah. Building. Right downtown Oklahoma City. My dad actually worked right around the corner and I went to school in Oklahoma City. And so I my parents actually lived in Edmond, but I went to school about forty five minutes away from home because I went to a private school. Okay. And so Part of, I mean, this is kind of a wild thing to think back on now as an adult, because at the time you only can handle it at your capacity to handle it. I was, uh, I guess I had, yeah, I was 17 years old. I had just turned 17, but we heard it.
1: Like you so, heard yes. the bombing. So
2: our school was close enough and it wasn't, I mean, it was several miles yeah, away, yeah. but enough that it was like, and no, nobody heard it and thought that was a bombing, at least at our school. Now, of course, downtown Oklahoma City, they did, but it was enough that it was like, what was that? That's a weird sound. What happened? And then, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, we all got called into our school's auditorium.
1: Really? Yes. What's going on here? Yeah.
2: And there was an announcement made. And then the most devastating part that I remember was, and I, it's, again, it's funny to reflect on this as an adult. I did not understand the weight of this as a teenager, but teachers coming to inform students whose parents worked in the federal building. Hey, they were a part of this bombing and students being taken out and taken home. And I, I haven't really reflected back that on happened. that day. Mm. And our school never did like a memorial service. Or, and then I remember at what point we all had to go out into the parking lot and just stand there. I don't know what that was necessarily about. Maybe people had, maybe police were coming to search the school. Make sure nothing was going on yeah, like more widespread. Yeah, just some weird, you know, weird kind of things you think about it as the days went on. But, um, yeah, it was it was devastating for Oklahoma City and it took a long time to rebuild a, like a memorial, which now is down there and it's quite beautiful. But um, it was obviously it was the first time for something that significant to happen in our neck of the woods, the mm-hmm, middle of mm-hmm. America, but also just in America.
1: Right. Yeah, because yeah, we had the first World Trade Center bombing at that point already, but it wasn't.
2: It that wasn't like 911. Like yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So this was sort of the first, you know, Timothy McVeigh supposedly drove that van yeah. right in front of the building and abandoned it and um yeah, I mean, I can still remember this is dark Brian, but I still remember I was working At my dad's office one summer, it was the summer that Timothy McVeigh was given the death penalty, or at least it was announced that he would receive the death penalty. I was on a lunch break, sitting in a parking lot, eating a sandwich, and you could hear the eruptions of cheers from people all around in the buildings around us, thrilled that he was getting the death penalty. I am not for the death penalty, but it tells you what the city was longing for at that time. So, Yeah. yeah, I just have some very strange recollections connected to and then you're a high school so like people came out with sort of cheesy tribute songs and as a high schooler you're sure, embarrassed by sure, those sure, sure. there was a song called you can't break america's heart and we were all like eye roll I roll <laughs> again not i think understanding the significance yeah, of what had yeah.
1: happened so i'm looking up the branch davidian thing in waco actually happened on april 19th as well 1993 wow. and wow. i've listened to podcast i don't know these kind of things fascinate me the whole timothy mcveigh thing uh, like you said, he was the mass, like the main person in the bombing in Oklahoma City. Uh, he was that was a, a response to what had happened in Waco, hence the federal building. I, you
2: know, I forgot about that, that there was a connection. Oh, to... he was so mad about yes, it. Yes, that's right. That,
1: that's why he targeted the federal building. Yeah.
2: And that's why it was the same date.
1: Correct. Yes. It was on the anniversary. Yeah, I had
2: forgotten that.
1: Uh, I mean, I listened to some podcasts about Waco and about also about this. It's just fascinating. But uh, 168 individuals lost their lives. And... The, it's all tragic, the loss of lives, but you remember there was that daycare. So 19 so children So that's what died. I remember
2: the most is the daycare. And there were, yeah, 19, I was going to say, I think it was 19 kids. And more
1: than 850 others were injured. Did mm. you end up knowing anyone who either died or was injured? No, or my no?
2: parents knew someone who died from our church, but the students who, uh, again, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. Again, I was 17 years old, but... The parents, the kids who got pulled out, their parents, I believe, survived the bombing, but were at oh, okay. work in the building. Unless, again, did did they not tell us, you know, there are things that are still sort of puzzle yep. pieces in my mind. But uh,
1: And so th- I think what was crazy about Waco and then about the Oklahoma City bombing is what you said earlier. We had no real reference for Mm-mm. it, right? Like, yeah. You know, our parents had the assassination of John F. Kennedy. There's major things that had happened, but there was never. They had
2: experienced the devastation of war, obviously. Yeah,
1: for you and for our generation, like you said, I was a senior in high school Mm -hmm. when Oklahoma City happened. You were a junior. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was, I think, a freshman in high school, maybe when the first World Trade Center bombing happened. And that's more where my neck of the woods. Yeah, I lived out that way. Uh, I could be wrong. I might have been a sophomore, but. I remember that the disconcerting nature of even the Oklahoma City bought like the the vivid picture of that building being like half of it just being gone. Yes, yes. I remember there even being this une like, what's going on in the world? Right? Like that was like the first, and obviously the pinnacle of this became nine eleven. Definitely, but there's these felt like part like markers on the way to nine eleven. Yeah, where 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 the the security, the oh, nothing ever happens here you know from Waco to Oklahoma City to Columbine all this stuff pit, like
0: yeah
2: kind of that illusion of security exactly. began to be broken and certainly at 911 i think it was shattered, shattered but you saw the the fractures in the illusion begin to happen where you're like wait a second this can't happen in our country and this especially can't happen in Oklahoma City it's not even a major That's city right. it's That's not right. on a coast it's not a it's not vibrant like new york like what in the world and then um, t- to even kind of know it was an act of terrorism, but like home terrorism, not someone from the outside coming in. Like all of all of those pieces, I think, just shook a community in yep. a country to go, OK, what are we what are we putting our hope and our faith in? What are we assuming? Uh, what are we assuming? Uh, regarding safety right. that actually ha- has nothing to do. We, we're not in control of it.
1: That's right. Uh, just for reference, the first World Trade Center bombing took place February 26, 1993. So I was right. That okay. would have been my uh, that would have been my sophomore. Nope. That's my junior that's your year, junior okay, year. My junior year yeah. of high school. Uh, that is almost to the day when the standoff started in Waco. So you get that. And then two years later, you get Oklahoma City. And I think as a nation, all of especially our age, we were like, something feels like it's changed. Yeah. Something feels absolutely. like it's changed. And then six years later, it was 9-11. And like you said, that 9-11 will always be the inflection point where everything definitively changed.
2: Absolutely. Like,
1: you know, the the difference between who we were on September the 10th versus who we were on September 11th is... Night and day. Uh, night and day. Yep. It's completely different. Yep. But along that pathway was Oklahoma City. So yeah. very interesting to hear You know, this your is a, such a it.
2: mild thing to say in light of like horrific tragedy. But it is interesting how even things like. For instance, we go to the airport and we just all automatically take our shoes off. Do you remember that was a post 9-11 thing because somebody snuck a knife or Mm -hmm. whatever through? Like, there are just some things that, like, culturally shifted that I think now we think are normal. But like you said, there was a day when they weren't. So it was... It shifted our our internal being but it also shifted so much culturally. The stuff we it's used wild. to be able to
1: do on airport like in airports in airports, 9/11, you could just go hang
2: out at airport if you, you wanted to. You out, I
1: remember like if you were going with someone you could just walk them yeah, all the way to the You just walk them
2: all the way, just say goodbye, go go hug and kiss them. Yes. Yeah, wild.
1: It is crazy. Mm. Well, I thought that was an important day to remember today 28 years ago uh the bombing at the uh Murrow Federal Building there. Hey,
2: we'll be back again tomorrow. 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.